walking down the road, for that was when, unnoticed, you could sometimes find a door or window unlocked and slip inside to help yourself to anything available. There was always something lying around, even if you found no cash. A radio or an easily detached video recorder. Jerry enjoyed the excitement of such raids. He wasn't into drugs or making cars. He'd done several opportunist operations like this with Pete. It was Pete's scam. Jerry did the sweet-talking at the door, while Pete went round the back and sneaked inside to take whatever he could find. The woman had seemed all right. A bit more talk and he'd have got her to buy a few things from him. Still, he'd soon find someone else to dazzle with his sales pitch. Jerry's artless expression and steadfast gaze had got him out of many a past scrape. While Jerry was knocking on doors and doing his best to sell dusters to whoever answered, Pete was testing for easy entry. Pete was small, slim and agile, and he nipped quickly round the rear of houses while Jerry was busy switching on the charm. They'd mocked up a license and bought a few dusters and dishcloths at a warehouse sale, as a decoy, Jerry was a useful partner. Pete, sticking close to the wall of the house, then sliding past the garage, was round at the back before the door was opened. There was no way of knowing in advance how many people were at home, so he was alert for movement indoors. Watching the houses was not part of his and Jerry's routine, for that could attract attention. You had to take a chance, nip in fast while the householder was at the door kept busy by Jerry and his patter. These recently built houses were less easy to approach unseen than the older, individual ones with well-planted gardens offering cover to prowlers. And unless Jerry at the front had a sale, any snitch had to be swift. A security light came on as he tried the back door. It was unlocked, and he stepped inside. The exterior light illuminated the kitchen as Pete glanced quickly round. Two pans were draining by the sink, but there was no purse or handbag visible, nothing to be quickly taken, and then he heard footsteps. Jerry had failed to detain whoever had opened the front door. Pete did not wait. He fled as swiftly and silently as he had come. But he'd remember this house, maybe visit it again. A good few folk locked their back doors at dusk, but not, it seemed, whoever lived here. He was luckier further down the road, collecting a watch and a transistor radio left ready for the taking. Neither was missed until the following day. The railway station at Beckham had recently been modernised. Its ironwork painted vivid red and blue even a coffee bar established on the upline to London. Trains carried commuters back and forth, running frequently at peak times and maintaining a good service throughout the day. A number of Granbury's regular travellers find it worth driving the extra miles to use this route rather than the nearest station at Nettington, where the car park was filled to capacity soon after nine o'clock when the first cheap fares operated. Charlotte Frost had forgotten about the young offender when, one morning some weeks later, she inserted her Fiat between a Discovery Range Rover and a blue Honda. 
She'd planned to catch the 905, but thought she might not manage it when she arrived at the booking office. For a large man in a dark suit, who was making a complicated booking with his credit card, seemed impervious to the fact that there were other passengers queuing up behind him. Buying his season ticket, Charlotte deduced, mildly irritated by the delay, but content to catch the train due fifteen minutes later, for she had no morning appointment and was planning to visit an art exhibition before meeting Lorna. She decided that the man was insensitive, pompous and boring. He was entitled to receive whatever attention he required, but his was an intricate transaction. Couldn't he have arrived earlier? Standing behind him, her exact fare ready, she wondered about his life. Was his wife bullied into meekness, or was he a lamb at home? He was clearly prosperous. Was he a city magnate, or a lawyer? While she pondered, rapid footsteps pounded up behind her, and a breathless woman, streaked blonde hair in some disorder, saw the hold up ahead, came to an enforced halt behind Charlotte, and stood shifting from foot to foot. She was not merely impatient, she was frantic. The man still stood there, slowly conducting his negotiations, while the new arrival chafed. The train will be coming, I've got to get to work, she told the heir, or Charlotte. Go ahead of me, it doesn't matter if I miss this one, said Charlotte, standing back. Oh, thank you, gasped the woman barely looking at Charlotte as she took her place. At this point, the man's business was concluded, and he moved ponderously on. The distressed blonde bought her ticket in seconds, speeding off as the train's arrival was announced, and Charlotte's good deed was rewarded, for the clerk produced hers promptly, and she too was in time to board it. Taking her seat, there was still space, though the train would fill up at the next stop, she wondered briefly about the distraught woman who, like the man, had not allowed enough time to catch her train. Perhaps she'd had to take children to school, or the washing machine had flooded, or some other domestic disaster had delayed her. Charlotte would never know. She travelled up to London in a different carriage, but glancing out of the window when the train stopped at Denfield, twenty minutes into the journey, she saw the woman hurry along the platform still in a rush. Charlotte enjoyed the exhibition and afterwards took the underground to South Kensington where she was to meet Lorna, her stepdaughter, who was a partner in a residential letting agency based nearby. In the cloakroom at the restaurant where they were to meet, Charlotte, who had arrived first, added cautious dabs of blusher to her pale face. She was determined that Lorna should deliver a good report to her brother. They, after all, had lost their father, while she was an interloper, marrying him after the death of their mother, whom Charlotte had never met. Charlotte had known Rupert slightly for several years. She had worked for a charity which the company he ran had sponsored, not only financially, but also by providing training and work experience. Meeting at a fundraising function, each had felt the other to be an old friend, when they were really little more than acquaintances. But Rupert, now widowed, had walked her to her car after the event, and somehow or other they'd arranged to meet for dinner the following week. 
He'd collected her from the house where she had lived since soon after her husband's death. One thing had led to another, and because he was now the chairman of his company, Rupert had insisted that they marry. To be openly lovers, he'd said, would provoke gossip, and living together without marrying would be even worse. Also, he wanted to give her the security marriage to him would offer. In fact, he loved her, and it had been easy for her, after her first astonishment, to love him in return. Their two years together had been happy, though for Charlotte they were demanding, for her new role involved many duties. Rupert's house was large. Its grounds were occasionally used for village events, and there were the visits of his children and grandchildren. In addition, there was the garden, which delighted Charlotte, but it took up time and energy. She adapted as rapidly as possible, doing all she could to make friends with his family. Then, abruptly, one fine summer's day, everything changed, when Rupert collapsed and died at a meeting in London. Lorna had suggested that they meet today. After their father's death, his children had rearranged Charlotte's life. By the terms of his will, apart from the pension she inherited, she was to continue living at White Lodge, which was left to his children, for as long as she wished. But if she were to move, she was to be rehoused, rent-free, in a style befitting her status as his widow. Felix... Rupert's son soon told her that White Lodge must be sold as it was much too big for her on her own.